contractor's journey to self-mastery requires discipline, integrity, and respect. Welcome to Hammer and Grind. And welcome to the Hammer and Grind podcast, the podcast built for contractors to help maximize profits and get you off the tools before burnout or bankruptcy happens. I'm your host, Brad Hebner, and I'm here to help you on your journey to self-mastery. Make sure you check us out on our social media platforms, TikTok, Instagram, Facebook. Just search for Hammer and Grind Podcast, and you'll be able to find me there. Consider joining my free Facebook group called the Contractor Profit Blueprint. I created this free group to give you as much information as possible to help you in your business. I go live in there once a week, tons of content to help you in your business. Now, if you want to accelerate the success, consider joining my paid coaching group called The Profit Club. In there is a great community of contractors all willing to share information and help each other succeed, as well as hundreds of hours of training, coaching calls, everything you need to accelerate your business. If you want to learn more about that, you can find out more information on hammerandgrind.com forward slash the profit club, or just send me a message and I'll be happy to share that with you. Now, let's get on to the show. All right. Welcome back to the Hammer and Grind podcast. Got a special guest today. I got Duncan Farrell with Farrell Built. I'm excited to have you. Thanks for being on the show, Duncan. Yeah, Brad. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be on here as well. So I'm going to do a little bit different. Normally, I would read a bio intro for everybody. I want to have you just introduce yourself. Just tell us a little bit about you and your business and what you do. Yeah, I'm Duncan Farrell. I own Farrell Built, which is a post-frame construction company. We build shops and farm buildings for property owners that are looking to upgrade their storage, protect their valuable assets. We've, I've had the start of the business six years ago. And didn't start out originally doing the post frame with the business. That was my background and what I wanted to do. But we kind of did like a lot of people do where you do whatever kind of work you can find on Kijiji or Craigslist and whatever comes your way. And basically used to say, if you're going to pay me to do it, we can do it. So that's what we used to do. And we only in the last couple of years have focused down on niched into the post frame buildings again. You know, the shops and the farm buildings and that sort of thing. Yeah. And you're up in Canada. Where, what city are you located in? Yeah. So we're in British Columbia, Canada. So Enderby is where we're based out of, which is in the Okanagan. Yeah. Gotcha. And we won't hold that against you being from Canada, but that's all right. <laughs> well, some people might, but. Well, they'll, they just have to get over it. So you wanted to, we want to talk a little bit about mindset. Is that right? I mean, is that kind of where we want to go? Or I mean, we're this is a this is a, a little bit different style. We don't have like an agenda per se. We're just gonna chat a little bit about different stuff and and kind of talk about perspectives on things. So, I mean, mindset I think is kind of one of the, one of the things you want to talk about. Is that right? Well, I think everything starts with mindset. So you can try and do all the steps to try and do the right thing, try to make your business work. But if you don't start with mindset, I don't think you're going to make much headway or it's going to be a lot harder. Would you agree with that? Oh, 100%. Yeah, I mean, that's, you know, in the the contractor profit blueprint, step one is master your mindset because of that very reason. 
myself, I mean, I was in business for nine years before I finally got smart enough, if you will, to like go get help and then start making changes in my business. I mean, luckily for you, you didn't wait nine years before you started getting help in your business. But how did, what was your mindset before when you were working your business? I know you said like you would just do whatever work you could, could, you could, you could get, but like, what was your mindset around selling and pricing and like just in general in business? Yeah, that's a great question, Brad. My mindset was totally a scarcity mindset. And the also another mindset that's changed that I used to have was the mindset of the that our customers are always trying to screw us kind of mindset, which I feel mm. like is really prevalent among contractors. Like looking at customers in a negative way that they're out to get us every way they can, that sort of thing. So I used to have that mindset. So if there was any problems that come up and you have that mindset and you go into it thinking they're trying to screw you and instead of looking at it from the perspective of the client that and how they see it, you go into it already angry and aggressive and create a massive problem that there's multiple times I can think of where there probably was no problem. And I created a massive problem with the way I communicated because of that mindset. That, that's a, I mean, that's a, that's a big one there. Like basically pre-framing the conversation before you even go in there, thinking that it's a waste of your time or they're going to try and screw you or beat you up on price or whatever you know, whatever you want to come up with, whatever thoughts you have. I think that's like, you hit the nail on the head there with a lot of contractors have that mindset. And you know, what doesn't help is, is going into these free Facebook groups for contractors. <laughs> and like, you know, there's like every day there's 30 posts about how they got screwed by the customer and how they wasted their time. And like it's it's the whole mantra of you know you are who you hang out with right well when you're hanging out with forty thousand contractors on a Facebook group that are complaining about customers you're going to start thinking the same thing I, I I mean that's that's like I think that's probably one of the most important mindset shifts right there is just not having that scarcity mindset what is that I mean, I've, I've used that term before, but I don't know if anybody really under, fully understands what that means. Like, can you dive into what, to you at least, what it means to have a scarcity mindset? Well, I can give you a really real example just from recently because some of our employees have that mindset. And I've told them, like, don't let it affect when you're buying with the company visa, you don't have that scarcity mindset. And so, an example is we had the whole crew go back and fix a door on a job yesterday because when they originally purchased the track for the sliding door for a sliding barn door there was two options at the hardware store there was one that was half the price of the other one so they bought the half the price one and i'm talking like $300 versus $150 like not 20 grand versus 10 grand this was 350 or 150 and they bought the cheap one and of course two weeks down the road the client's having major problems with the door and so now we go back and we fix it and we put the good hardware in but it's a whole day for a crew to go down there and do that and and a couple other minor things but the point being that if they'd have used the spent the extra double the price in the beginning the extra 150 bucks or whatever they wouldn't have had to go back and fix it so you you think you're saving with that scarcity mindset and you're actually just down the road causing yourself more and more problems. 
and that's just one example. I mean, then there, it comes into play in your sales as well and selling stuff for too cheap because you're thinking, well, I couldn't, I wouldn't spend this much on something, but your clients are willing to spend way more than you would spend on it potentially. And so doing it, bidding it for too cheap, getting into the job and you're three quarters of the way through, we got to get out of here. We got to get this done. We got to get this done kind of thing because you're running out of money on it and you want to get on the next one so you can get a little cash flow. And all that happens is you end up cutting corners because you're trying to get out of there and your client's not happy. And then you end up going back for something there. Or it just leads to so many problems. Yeah, you, you just hit on something perfect. I didn't even I didn't even consider, and that is the employee mindset. I mean, your your mindset of your employees having a scarcity mindset, right? So how did you I mean, obviously that's a good learning, a teaching moment, right? It's like how did you approach that with your employees and how did you use that to like maybe change their mindset a little bit? Well, we've talked about it that you know, if that's the way you guys want to spend your money with your own personal purchases, that's okay. But when it comes to us, like we produce top quality products and we don't buy the cheap stuff for it. We don't cut corners to try and get out of there a couple hours early. What's really helped is I've recently hired a new lead on site and he drives into them every day. Like every decision they make is, is this the quality way to do this? Or are we like we're an expensive, we're more expensive than anyone else people can hire or the most expensive buildings they could buy in the area. But that's because we want to pay attention to the quality and the client experience. And if we have a scarcity mindset, we're not going to pay attention to either of those. Yeah. I mean, well, that makes perfect sense. I never, I just never, I mean, I, you know, I've had employees and they make dumb mistakes and we've had similar types of conversations with them. But I never really thought about like helping them with their scarcity mindset. Is that something that you've, other than what your lead guy is doing, is that, I mean, have you been proactive, intentional in trying to make sure that you kind of fix their, their mindset a little bit? Not enough, but yeah, we, we do work on their mindset. I mean, you can see the Rob Report magazine here behind me which is how I fixed my scarcity mindset a lot was reading that and realizing how much money there actually is in the world. And one of our key employees has taken like four or five of those home because that's something he's actively trying to work on and is reading them to, cause I told him it helped me. So he's trying to read that and see if it helps him. So yeah, in that way, but I feel like we could be way more proactive and helping in that. But here's the thing you can't, pay your employees bottom of the dollar wages and then expect them to have a abundance mindset either because they it's not even possible <laughs> like if right. they're going to have an abundance mindset and you're paying them bottom dollar they're going to go somewhere else so you if you're fixing yeah. their change and change their mindset you want to make sure you can actually you're actually going to support that change of mindset otherwise they'll change their mindset and that's going to lead them somewhere else where they can actually make the changes Tell us what the Rob Report is for those that don't know. Yeah, quickest, easiest way is it's a rich people magazine. <laughs> but it's basically yeah. like, I don't know. Are you familiar with it, Brad, or no? You've you've told me about it before, but I've never actually looked at it. It's just, I mean, like the, the advertisements in there are like for yachts and like 200-year-old wine and watches that cost $400,000. And it's about like these health, getaways you can go to they'll have in some of them and they're like 
you know, a few grand a day or 10 grand a day to go and do this relaxed thing where they feed you like one piece of lettuce a day and you starve for four days and become a better person. And like, there's all sorts of, it. every issue has a different topic. Like the yeah. most recent one is like the best of the best. So it's just a, it's an extra thick one and it's going through like the best in every category. And the cool thing with the Rob report is it has prices beside everything. So you see like, wow, there's a pair of shoes. It'll show like an outfit for a guy and it'll be like $15,000 pair of shoes, $5,000 pair of pants. It'll name them. I'm not familiar with those brands whatsoever, but everything's right. priced. So you go through and you're like, people are spending five grand on this and I'm scared to charge them five grand for this window in their shop or whatever. And there's people spending five grand on a shoe, you know? <laughs> like, so it really helps right. sh- helped me shift my mindset to realizing like there's a lot of money out there and if i'm having trouble with it it's probably because of me and targeting the wrong people yeah this the whole money thing and the scarcity of mindset ties in a lot to the financial you know upbringing of us obviously if if we grew up in a poor situation or we grew up you know middle income that's probably going to ha- we're going to have similar outputs on us right unless we just go down a completely different path or had some key mentors or people in our lives to really shape us different. Or maybe you read the book, you know, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, whenever you were small, and that really just triggered something in you. But there's a thing that's called set points in financial. Have you ever, have you heard me talk about that before? The set points? Yeah, I have. Like resetting what your zero is, basically. Well, a lot of us in financial terms we will have a set point of our bank account, right? So we will have a threshold of, I don't want to go below $5,000 in my bank account. And so a lot of times what happens is, is, is if you don't raise your set points, then you will always psychologically, subconsciously, you will default and you will sabotage yourself because you will try to get rid of any extra money in your account down to that $5,000 set point. So it's a simple thing to add. Like if you're listening to this, you probably, no matter what's going on in your business, whether the phone's ringing or not ringing or you're spending money or whatever, you probably always somehow miraculously will have at least a certain dollar amount in your bank account. Whether it's $1,000 or $5,000 or $10,000 or $20,000, whatever it is, like you could, you could get an influx of payments and invoices and stuff, hit a jackpot job and you put 50K in your account. And then before you know it, within like 30 days or so, it's all of a sudden your account's back down to 10 or five or whatever your set point is. And so have you ever had, have you had experience with that, Duncan, from whenever before, like before you started having a lot more success in your business, did you have that kind of issue at all? Has that been a factor for you? Yeah, and I would say it's still a bit of a problem. Like that's still something I work on because I it's totally something where you're like, oh man, look at this. I can go buy this new truck or whatever it is you need or think you need. No, I get it. I I can't say I'm definitely not an expert on that part yet. Like that's something I'm working on myself as well. Like I've got the mindset shift. I just haven't, like you say, set a set point properly. Well, one thing you can do to help with that is it, let's say your set points 10 grand in your bank account, whether it's personal or business, doesn't matter. If you get an influx of money, like say now you have $50,000 in your account, 
leave that money in your account for 30 days and do not spend it on anything. No matter how much temptation you have, leave it in there for 30 days and look at your bank account every single day. Open it up and see you got 50K in there, 50K in there, 50K in there. Leave it for 30 days. And what that will do is you'll start training your brain to now the new set point is 50K. And I don't want to have anything lower than 50K in my account. And then you add to that and you can kind of keep building that muscle, if you will. Yeah, it makes sense. There's something that kind of ties into that that I learned recently too, is like a ceiling almost set point where in your mind, like 10 grand a month or whatever is what is good money. And as the closer you get to that, the more you'll like self-sabotage so that you don't make more than that. Have you heard of that? Yeah, I just posted that in the Poffer Club like two days ago. Okay, that might be where I saw it. But I was, I swear I was listening to something too about it. Like, re- it seems like whenever I see something, I just hear it everywhere. So that's probably what it was. Well, that's I your subconscious. Like saying, yeah, I mean, that's your reticular activating system saying, oh, we're, we're, we're invested in this information. Well, here it is in three other locations too. So, and th- this, is a good, this is a good point too, why you should surround yourself with people who are really, you know, better than you or at least at the same level you are, right? Because it, it helps to put you in that, those types of mindset and those conversations too. But yes, you can have money, you can sabotage money based on how much you, you know, make a month. The, the exercise was to close your eyes and start saying dollar amounts, like 5,000 a month, 10,000 a month, 20,000 a month. And then to the point to where your brain starts saying, you know, well, that's ridiculous. You're never going to make 25000 a month. And then you know, like, that's where your brain, that, that's your ceiling. That's your financial income ceiling is if you're at like 5000 a month and your brain's saying, well, you'll never be able to make more than that. That's it. That's your ceiling. And then you got to start taking some actions to fix that. Yeah. I mean, I, I, think, I think it's normal. Like, if, if, if we start out working for somebody, right, and we're making 15, 20, 25, 30 bucks an hour, you know, we're getting paid forty, fifty, seventy thousand dollars a year, and then we start a business, right? Like our what we know as far as like value to us is that last salary that we had, and now all of a sudden you're saying I can make three, four times that much. I just don't, that doesn't even seem possible. Yeah. What right? about I mean, the like feeling of? I know there's people I've talked to that are that maybe don't see it as not possible, but they see that as a bad thing. Like if they're going to, going to be making a bunch more than, the, than they used to make that are screwing people or ripping people off. What do you like? What about that side of it? Guilty. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's where I struggled. The head trash of you're ripping people off. I mean, I love my dad and you know, he always provided for us. We didn't, we weren't rich or anything, but we, we weren't poor, but my dad's a wheeler and dealer. Like he's, you know, I don't know how he does it. He works, he's retired and he like fixes lawnmowers and stuff. And, you know, he'll get people to say, Hey, I'll give you this lawnmower. I'll sell it to you for 300 bucks. And he's like, nah, I, you know, I only give you a hundred. And I'm like, okay. And then he'll, and then he'll turn around, fix one little $20 part and sell it for $800 and make like a $700 profit in a week. Right. So, but that, that wheeler and dealer mentality of you can't overpay for stuff. 
and no one's going to pay you more. And I remember distinctly when I started my business, I was charging 40 bucks an hour when I started. And my dad said, you can't charge that much. Like you're, you're ripping people off for that much. Right. And like, even though I didn't lower my price, like the thought of going above $40 was like not even in the cards. Yeah. So like we're all programmed like that. And then you can throw in, you can sprinkle in some, you know, religious beliefs around what the Bible says around money and, you know, it's the root of evil and all these other things that come out of that. And a lot of that stuff's misinterpreted. You know, it's not, it's misquoted. Mm-hmm. But here's the thing about money. Whatever your heart is, right? If you have a really good heart and you want to help people, what money does is it, it expands that, right? So if you, have, if you have an evil heart and you like taking advantage of people and screwing them and you get more money, you're just going to keep screwing more people. If you love to help people and give back and you make more money, you're going to help even more people and give back even more, right? So whatever is in your heart is how money is going to affect it. Yeah, big time. I mean, you've had some major growth in the last two years, year and a half or so. What's some of the major changes that you've made in your business and really like both mindset and just any other, any other areas, like what's some major changes that you've made? Yeah. Mindset obviously being the big one, other changes, I would say the second biggest thing would be trusting other people, which is another mindset thing. It all kind of tails back to mindset. You know, there's the saying that's really popular in the trades, but probably elsewhere too is, you know, if you want something done right, do it yourself. (laughs) And that's all great and all, but if you want to grow or you want to ever do anything other than doing everything, you have to trust other people, but you have to put the processes and systems in place to be able to trust them. Cause I've made that mistake too, of just going, hiring someone and then here you go, you take care of this. And obviously it doesn't work out because unless they're phenomenal, if you're not supporting them, and you're just trusting them, they're going to mess it up for sure. So there has to be, with the trust, there has to be the support, but not the micromanaging, I have to do it myself. That's not support either. So wait a minute, Dustin. Duncan, you mean I can't just hire someone and they're going to do it the exact same way that I want them to do it? No, (laughs) definitely not. And I don't think you should ever expect that. I don't even know if you can expect to train them to do it exactly how you want it done. But you have to have an acceptable, it's not going to be 100% how you want it. So you have to determine, you know, where where is that? Is that at 70% of how I want it or 80% of how I want it? And what am I okay with not having exactly how I want it? Because it's probably fine. And I think a lot of people get caught up in the, it's not my way, you know, it's the my way or the highway thing where it actually doesn't matter if they do it this first or that first. What matters is that the end product's good. And even if it's not as perfect as if you were there, there's a certain level that it should be at, like 80% of what you would do. And from there, anything above that is just a bonus if they can get it better than 80% of what you'd do. How much do you think a person's, a, a business owner, how much do you think their identity with what they do factors into how they treat employees? In other words, their self-value, maybe self-value is a better word than identity. Their self-value comes through their work 
right? As a as a craftsman. And so how much how do you, how much do you think that affects when they hire someone who's going to be doing the exact same work as a representation of themselves? Yeah, like they're identifying as a craftsman or a carpenter or framer or whatever it is instead of identifying as a business owner. Yeah. I would say that's a huge part of it. I if someone asks me what I do now, I don't say I'm a framer. Like I say I own construction business or I own ferro built and we build shops and farm buildings, but I don't say that I'm a framer. And I that's that's interesting you ask that because I never really I couldn't tell you when that shifted. But at some point in the last couple of years it has. And I don't think of I think of myself as a business owner. I don't think of myself as a framer, which is I know one hundred percent is what I used to say I was. And for probably the first five years, four or five years I owned the business, I would say that. Do you has your has your thoughts about like this? My name's on the business, you know. Therefore, you should do it as good as me. Has that changed at all through that process, or has that been the same? Yeah, I honestly probably a lot of our employees do a better job than me at a lot of stuff. So (laughs) at like I mentioned, so everything shifted at the same time. So like I mentioned before of me, like the outlook I had of the clients are out to screw us kind of outlook where we don't have that now, whenever there's a problem or even anything they bring up. But if it's a problem, we try and look at like, how would we see it if we were in them and we'd hired someone? Like, how would we look at this? So I think that that's all changed at the same time. So it's hard to be like, specific with one or the other. Yeah. Well, I think, I mean, it's easy to say, you know, Jeff Bezos is not out there in the factory loading your product. You know, you go on there and you buy your Chinese made, whatever flashlight, like Jeff Bezos is not in there loading that flashlight up and packing it, you know, and shipping it to you. Right. Like most of us will say, well, yeah, that's ridiculous. There's no way he can do that. Yet as a, as a construction owner, because we're a much smaller outfit, like that's literally what we do. Like we want to try and be the guy loading the flashlight in the box and shipping it and being able to make that distinction of I'm not a craftsman, I'm a business owner. I think that is a pivotal shift for someone to make. And I mean I think you would agree with that, right? Big time. Yeah, like your instinct as a craftsman whenever there's a problem would be you know, there's a problem on site, say you're say you're in partway in the journey of trying to become more of a business owner and the CEO or the founder of your company and not the guy out there doing the work. But somewhere in that shift, there's a massive temptation every time, you know, someone called in sick, I got to be on the tools or someone, you know, we're, we're short three guys. We need to hire three more guys. So I need to be on the tools for the next month until we get more guys. That's like you say, like Jeff Bezos isn't like, oh, we're down a factory worker. I guess I got to get out there and start packing boxes tomorrow because we're missing one guy like there so somewhere along the way there's a really difficult time and i struggled with it massive and luke who you know in our group he helped me with it a lot because i would get this feeling of guilt like if it was super hot or it was raining and i'm like sitting here in the air-conditioned offices plus 40 out and i used to feel guilty that they're out there slugging away and here I am just sitting here doing nothing. Cause in 
a tradesperson's eyes, like the office side of it isn't work. Like, yeah, yeah it's not work unless you're out there banging away, slamming away, getting stuff done that you can physically see. And it recently I've made that final shift where when people ask, what do you work? You know, are you working today or whatever? I used to say, no, not really. I was just in the office. But now it's like, yeah, I was working. Like, and I was talking to an engineering buddy of mine. He's like, you trades people are all the same. Like, all I do is work in the office. That doesn't mean I'm not working. Like, so it's it's that weird thing of like we've where we've been raised maybe that way. And if we come from a trade background where we think if we're not physically doing something, we're not building something, there's not something, you know, that we can see happening, we're not working. And that's kind of been like the final, maybe not the final, I'm still working on a lot of mindset stuff, but that's been like one of the latest things that I've, I can say I've actually totally shifted that so that I see this as work. Like right now I'm working, talking to you and I don't feel bad that the guys are out building a building while I'm talking to you because I'm working. And it's easy to forget like all of the hard work, physical labor that you did to get yourself to this point too. Right. So like when you own a business, when you first start, I mean, it's hard. Like owning a construction business is hard freaking work. And so like not only like, yes, you are working, but you can still say, I've done that. Like I've, I built this business. I worked hard for a long time. Now I'm reaping the benefits of some of that really hard work that I did early on, but I don't have to keep doing that hard work for the rest of my life. Could have reaped the benefits a lot sooner. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I mean that that's that's working smarter, not harder. Yeah. Right? I mean, that's just that that's just how it is. Like the the people that are in the trades that have that scarcity mindset, that have that low self-worth mindset, is you're not worth anything unless you're working really hard breaking your back. Like that's that's the only time you're worth anything. Yeah. And you no. Know, I'm sure like your employees who come into your business who work for other contractors, they're probably blown away, I would imagine. Yeah. Well, I've attracted a lot back that used to work for us because they see the big change and they're like, that's a place I want to be. Like, But I want to just make a point clear while we're still on that is that I work very hard. I almost sometimes feel like I work harder now because it's more difficult for me, some of the stuff I do. Whereas I could go out and I can work 12 hours a day in the sun all day and that doesn't feel hard to me. But when I'm working here and it's like some days you're just like, okay, I got to get out, get a walk, like clear my head. There's a lot more mind work. So I just want to make that point that like, I'm not just sitting here calling this work with my feet up on the desk, chilling out in the office, drinking coffee or tea or having a beer or something. (laughs) Even if you were doing that. Even if that's what you were doing, it's you still, it's your business. Like you can do whatever you want in your business. You're the owner. Yeah. I know you don't, but, but yeah, but talk a little bit about your employees. Like, like, what do they say? What's their reaction whenever they come in, you know, from working somewhere else? I mean, if you want to see some of the stuff they say, just check out our social media, but like stuff like there's, you know, never worked anywhere else like this. I was doing a quarterly review the other day and, we were talking about how it's unique culture here. And yeah, Dan said that he's never, he said, he's like, I haven't really worked somewhere. And then he's like, correct himself. He's like, I've never worked somewhere where people are this cheerful and where it like, it's fun to be at work. He's like, it's not, 
he hasn't even worked anywhere close. And I think they all pretty much can say the same thing. And so you're not, I mean, not only are you paying them well, but you also have a great culture in your business. And so they enjoy coming to work. It's one thing to like, you know, work in the oil fields, making really good money, like killing yourself doing that and, and having a miserable job that you hate. It's another thing to get paid well and actually enjoy what you're doing, right? And so when you create that culture, it's probably made it a little bit easier to recruit people as well, I would imagine. Yeah, it has. It's definitely a tight market for recruiting, but it's definitely helped. I would say it's helped more with retention than recruitment. And it just came to me what because one of one of our lead guys was trying to is trying to recruit a fella that lives upstairs of where he lives. And he told him he told me that he told the guys like, yeah, the paychecks are just a bonus. Like we love going to work. He's like, the paycheck, it's just a bonus you get at the end of the day, kind of thing. So that's kind of the mentality. Like, how many construction sites are there where everyone's excited on Monday morning to show up for work? Or Sunday night, they're like, man, I can't wait to get back. Yeah. Not very many. I mean, that's, you, you've put in the work, Duncan. I mean, I've watched you, been able to watch you from the sidelines, but you've put in the work, you know, building that culture in your business. You've done a lot of social media posts, TikToks and stuff on the culture of your business. I've seen your videos, you guys cooking lunch, you know, on the job site horse playing around and doing races or whatever, or teasing guys and stuff like that. And so that culture that you've built is really a testament to your ability as an owner to do that because you weren't on the tools anymore or as much anymore, right? I mean, it would be a lot harder to do that if you were still on the tools every day. Would you agree with that? 100%. I mean, this morning, I just came from our weekly review meeting where there's a form everyone fills out the end of the week, or usually people fill it out right before the meeting, but they get it end of the week and they fill out the Google form. And then the company buys breakfast for everyone. And we go over the form and it's got, you know, what went right, what went wrong, what can we do to improve? How was your week on a scale of one to 10? And at the end, there's a shout out to whoever, like, who do you want to shout out? And what are you shouting them out for? Like, what did they do to deserve a shout out? So, I feel like that part of that really has played a huge part in keeping the culture because we had a pretty decent culture even when I was on site. And what I was worried about is as I got away from being on site, that that, I wouldn't be there to support that culture, but that culture has got better since I've been off site. And I think those weekly review meetings play a huge part into it. I mean, the newest laborer can put in, this went wrong and this is how I think we should, what we should do to improve it next time. And we're going to read that and we're going to discuss it in the meeting. And then our, who doesn't get happy about getting a free breakfast? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's, I, I, I wrote it down here, the shout out to another employee. I really like that as a, as a, you know, something to implement in your business because it's really lifting someone else up, right? It's not about look at me and how good I did. It's, Hey, I noticed that so-and-so, you know, went above and beyond today or did this or that. One of the things that I did in my, I didn't do with another employee per se, but I always told my guys to look for opportunities to uh, like give back to someone else, whether it's our customer or a neighbor or somebody. And so every Monday when we had our weekly meetings, I would say, you know, what was, I forget what I called it now off the top of my head, but I would say, what was, what did you do this week to give back? Right. And one time it was like, well, 
our neighbor left their dog out in the middle of the night and it was freezing. So I went over there and put it in a dog kennel or something like that, like two o'clock in the morning. Yeah. Like, cool. That's you giving back and making the world better, right? Or it's, well, I brought the trash cans back up from the street at the customer's house we were working at. I'm like, cool. So trying to like program in a lot of that giving back. But I like this as well as the shout out to another employee. Yeah. Another thing we have on there is what did you teach someone this week? And what did you learn this week? And sometimes people can't think of what they taught someone. Like this morning, for example, Luke, he put in that he didn't think he taught anyone anything. And as soon as I said that, I was doing running the review this morning. As soon as I said that that's what Luke put, then the three guys were like, what? No, you literally taught us this, this, and this. And they brought up the things that he taught them. And he's like, oh, I never even really thought about that. You know? So guys will actually, sometimes they won't be able to think about themselves, but someone else will point out, well, that's what you taught me right here. And then when in that, what did you learn? That'll often come up too. You know, like Paul taught me how to do such and such. And they didn't like those questions at first because you actually have to think a bit about the past week. But I think those have been pretty good as well. Well, you're, you're, you're basically teaching them mindfulness, right? You're teaching them how to be mindful of what they're doing. Uh, I think that's great as well. And then the guys point out like, no, you helped me do this and this. He might have thought like, no, I, I didn't think, I didn't consider that as me teaching somebody something. Yeah, but they thought that they that they they learned something from you, and so that that's a great exercise as well to really start programming that mindfulness in your employees. I love what you're doing with your with your business, the the culture you've built. I love seeing all the stuff that you put out on social media. I want to ask this question. It's not about mindset, but it, it, I think it's important, and it wouldn't be a, a profit club, uh, hammer and grind podcast if I didn't talk about profit. How? likely would you be able to do what you've done today where you're at in your business? Even if you, if, if you knew everything that you, that you know now, back whenever you made the shift, it, would you be able to do it as successful if you kept the same profit that you were getting in your business? Good chance we'd be bankrupt by now. <laughs> so no. <laughs> so the profit margin has quite a bit to do with what you've been able to accomplish. Massive, huge. I was looking through some old invoices from a couple of years ago just for kicks. And I was like blown away at how little we were doing stuff for. I was like, at the time I realized I wasn't making a lot. And I think if I look back on it and like, I didn't even real think about overhead back then. If I'd have thought of everything, I'm pretty sure I was losing money on almost every job we did. So yeah, we were not headed in the right direction. When I made the shift, I was getting pretty desperate to have to do that. I had knew I had to do something and change something. And it's been like a full, whatever, 180 compared to where we were. Yeah. I, I mean, I asked that question. I already knew the answer to it. But the reason I brought it up is because if you want to be able to do the things that Duncan's talking about, being able to do morning breakfasts and, you know, and hire A players and build a culture the right culture in your business and get off the tools, you have to have good profit margins. I mean, it's just, it's just not possible. I shouldn't say it's not possible. It is possible, but it may take you an extra three to five, 10 times longer to be able to do that type of stuff. So I know we're close on time, Duncan, you got to hop off here. What's, what's a final 
thought you want to give people listening around, you know, mindset or anything else? Like, what would you want to leave them with? Probably the biggest thing is is definitely like you like you just brought up. Like, it all starts with charging enough. You can't do anything without that. And to be able to charge enough, you have to shift your mindset. Because I, there definitely was a small point of time where when we, I mean, we almost doubled our prices when we originally started taking coaching. And there was a point in time there where I was like, man, how am I going to tell people this is the price for this? And it would have been very easy to get one rejection and go, yeah, it's too much. We can't do it. But I made a guarantee to myself that January when we had no work, that no matter what, if we completely had no work because of it, I was charging at a 50% gross profit. I was bidding everything at that and I would not deal myself down like, oh, I'll take a bit off to make sure we get it. I would not do that, period. And I made that deal with myself and kept it. And sure, there's jobs we made less than 50%, but that was bidding errors, not because we we intentionally, we bid them at 50%. We just maybe missed something or sure. whatever. But yeah, I didn't change. Even though at the time, there was some time where it was like, we're, we don't have any jobs booked. Like I should just lower my prices, but I knew it would just put me back in that exact same spiral. So that would be my takeaway yeah. for anyone would be to make sure like there's a very, there's a point there where you make the decision. And then there's another point where you're going to get rejected on a bunch of stuff. And it'd be very easy to go, this isn't working. It's not going to work, but just stick with it. And my mentality from day one has been, I'm just going to do everything. If it's someone I'm learning from, I'm going to do everything they're telling me. If they're at a place I want to get to, I'm doing everything they tell me. And if I, cause if I don't do everything, then I can only blame myself if it doesn't work. Yeah. And that, and that's all mindset, right? Like that's where that scarcity mindset can really stop you. Because like you said, you try it one time, it doesn't, this Brad guy on freaking podcast and TikTok told me to charge double and I tried it one time and it didn't work. He's full of crap, right? Like that's that scarcity mindset. I think there's some, there's also some personal accountability in there. Like you mentioned, you knew if you didn't do everything, then you could only blame yourself, right? So Brad, um, I have a job coming up that we'll be getting a deposit on right away. Like it's it's legitimately sold, contracts signed, everything. It's three times. Like you know how you do double for fifty percent. We're three times, three times what hard. our cost in our cost is on it. And there was and a time people, when I thought there's no way I can charge double. I think I saved one of your screenshots when you said that. Like I never thought this was possible. There's people listening to that and hearing that and saying, there's no way, like there's no way you're getting three times, you know, the, the cogs, three times the markup or whatever. Like, it's just not possible. And I mean, I don't, Duncan has no reason to lie to you. Like he doesn't benefit by telling that lie. He's no. not getting an affiliate. You uh, mean money I don't get that five grand when we're done, Brad? No. <laughs> I know you got to hop off here, but one last question. What's your, what book are you reading right now? Or what's one that you recommend? And I already know what the answer is. Well, what, you <laughs> tell me what's the answer. <laughs> no, no, go ahead. Go ahead. Well, the one I've read recently that I've really liked is Buy Back Your Time by Dan Martell. Excellent book. And then anything by Patrick, Patrick Lencioni. So he's got like the five yep. dysfunctions of a team, the ideal team player, a whole bunch of books. His books are such easy reading and they're solid. But yeah, buy back your time. I would recommend to anybody, 
anywhere that has any sort of business. That's 100% a must read. It shifts your mindset. We're back to mindset again of hiring to buy back your time instead of hiring to grow your business. Yeah, I, I listened to that book based on your recommendation. It's a, it's a fantastic book. Matter of fact, I actually give it out now to all the people that join the Profit Club. Unfortunately, you didn't get one of those back in the day. But the, uh, the Ideal Team Player book is one of my favorite books for recruiting. And I love the way that he tells that in a story format. So that's another great book. Well, Duncan, thanks so much for being on here. I really appreciate your time sharing your successes and your, your thoughts around mindset. Hopefully, people listening to this will be able to, to get some knowledge. If somebody wants to reach out to you, what's the best way for them to, to do that? You can find me on Facebook, Instagram as Ferrobilt. You can find us there. I still, any messages that get sent to me, I'll get, I'll get them. Or you can just text me 236-599-7079. And don't try and call because I'm always on stuff like this and I never answer. But if you text me, I'll answer. Awesome. Well, I appreciate your time. Appreciate your your generosity with people being able to reach out to them. I would have never given the cell phone, but you know that's just me. <laughs> so, if you listen to this, we'll put the links as well in the show notes. So, if you're on the podcast player, you can go in there and get those links as well. Thanks again, Duncan, for being on the show. I really appreciate it. Thanks, Brad. So, guys, that's the end of the show. I hope you enjoyed it. Go do me a favor. Go leave a review on your favorite podcast player. Let me know how we did. What we can do better. You know where to find me as well. TikTok, Instagram, Facebook. Just search for the Hammer and Grind podcast. And if you want help with your business, feel free to reach out to me. And I have several different programs that I might be able to help you with. So until next time, guys, remember, profit is not a dirty word. Mm-hmm.